The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with unfettered feelings of nostalgia. Proceed at your own risk. folks slop the hog and have a jog it's time for event or else the podcast where i go through most every major marvel and dc event one issue at a time so you don't have to i'm your host my name is steven and we're back once again to talk about marvel superheroes secret wars this week we're looking at issue number three and it's entitled tempest without crisis within this issue was published by marvel comics in july of 1984 And it was written by Jim Shooter, with pencils by Mike Zeck, inks by John Beatty, letters by Joe Rosen, and colors by Christy Scheel. The issue opens with a storm raging outside of Magneto's Tuning Fork Fortress, which happens to be surrounded by a field of pink alien spaghetti, drawn so skillfully by Mike Zeck that the unearthly tendrils look as though they are writhing and squirming as the lightning explodes all around. Inside, Magneto stands looking out the window and taking in the scene, as the book tells us how super dangerous and mighty he is, more so than the awesome power of the storm. He soon grows bored of watching the rain, and removing his helmet, retires to a lounge chair in the conversation pit. Then, using his super awesome powers, he reaches out to another room in the fortress and frees the wasp from her tiny, scrap metal prison that he'd encased her in before kidnapping her in the previous issue. By the time the Wasp locates Magneto, he's still in the lounge chair, but now he's sipping wine and eating burritos from a floating tray. Well, la-dee-da, she proclaims. Do not bother to attack me, my dear, he returns. My person is magnetically shielded. You think I have to strike at you directly to hurt you, monster? She says as she uses her wasp sting to blow the contents of the tray all over him. She then threatens to bring the whole fortress down around them, and he calls a truce. In fact, he tells her that's why he brought her here in the first place, though to tell the truth, it certainly feels like he's hitting on her. Meanwhile, back at the Chicago-sized citadel where our heroes hang their hats, the storm rages on. Thor is perched out on the dome, which happens to come in handy when a lightning strike sends part of a mountain down on top of the hero's alien home. Thor, you see, is the Asgardian god of thunder, and he wields the mighty hammer, Mjolnir. And with said hammer, Thor blasts the falling mountain from the sky, saving the citadel, and he's loving every minute of it. Elsewhere in the citadel, Iron Man and Captain Marvel race down the corridors, checking for damage from the storm. Captain Marvel is flying in the form of light. Iron Man is using his jet skates. Let me repeat that. Iron Man is using his jet skates. Jet skates, as in jet-powered roller skates that are a part of Iron Man's armor. The most technologically advanced armor in the world. I'm sure we're going to talk about that later. In the command center, Captain America, Mr. Fantastic, and the Hulk get us up to date on how things are faring since Magneto wrecked the power plant in the last issue. Everything, by the way, has been fixed. Reed points out that Galactus is still chilling atop the mountain, ignoring the storm completely, and that there's a mysterious aura 
around the fortress of the villains. Reed postulates that possibly the villains are tapping into the storm and absorbing power from it. Cap's certain that the villains are planning an attack, considering that the heroes took five of them prisoner in the last issue, and he figures they'll attack once the storm has run its course. Reed mentions missing his wife and the Hulk, poster boy for empathy, tells him to spare them his maudlin whimpering, and so Reed sets out to be by himself. Spider-Man, in the meantime, is swinging around inside the gargantuan complex, musing to himself that with all the pipes and doohickeys in the ceiling, it's almost as if the place was built for web-slinging. He doesn't think on it long, however, before he finds himself in a large room, gazing down at a meeting of the X-Men. He means to leave, knowing that whatever is going on down there is none of his business, but the topic of the mutant's conversation makes him pause. Professor X is telling the others that they don't belong here with the heroes, and that it's time to take matters into their own hands. In fact, it's time for them to leave and join up with Magneto. But that's as far as he gets before his mutant-enhanced mental powers sense that they are being spied upon by Spider-Man. Spidey crashes down among them, and announces that he heard what they were planning, and he's going to tell everybody. The X-Men, try as they might, can't stop him before he escapes. It's only as Spider-Man tracks down Reed Richards, and is about to tell him what's what with the X-Men, that Professor X uses his super-powered brain to make Spidey forget what he was doing. And so Spidey swings away, thinking that it must not have been that important, whatever it was. After that, the X-Men leave in one of them alien airplanes. Back at Magneto's swinging bachelor pad, Magneto's on a Skype call with Dr. Doom. Doom, it seems, is trying to convince Magneto to join his considerable power with Doom's. But Maggie's having none of it and tells him so. Doom being Doom threatens Magneto, telling him he will live to regret his decision. But Mags doesn't seem too put off. Instead, he rejoins the Wasp in the conversation pit where he kisses her. She resists at first but then leans into it, and the two make out as the storm rages on behind them. Meanwhile, at Doom Base, Doom walks into a room where we see two women standing in separate tanks. We have no idea where they came from, but Doom throws a switch, and boom! Energy, in which Doom has harvested from the tempest outside, courses through the two women. And just like that, the two have superpowers. Let's meet them, shall we? First up is Miss Rosenberg whose body is composed mostly of ionized plasma, like the core of a star. And while she can revert back to human form, in her plasma form, she can radiate thermal energy from her skin at will and shoot fire from her hands that is as hot as a volcano. Thus, she chooses the name Volcana. Next is Skeeter McFerrin, once a skinny little lady. She's now a foot and a half taller and super strong. She goes by the name of Titania. Doom introduces the two new recruits to the team, and Titania immediately challenges the Absorbing Man to a fight in an effort to prove herself. He declines, telling her to save it for the heroes, and she storms off. Volcana, in the meantime, connects with the Molecule Man, seeing at once how sensitive he is. They go off to talk, and he tells her that while his therapist wouldn't approve of him taking up sides with Dr. Doom, he can't help but believe in Doom, and will help Doom win the war no matter what, even if it means ripping the whole planet apart. Back at Hero Base, Thor takes a break from playing in the rain to take a stroll through the prison hall, pausing at the healing capsule where they're keeping the Enchantress. He releases her, 
because he needs to talk. And as the Enchantress is the only other Asgardian on Battleworld, he feels that she's the only one there who can really get him. And so she creates a magical gateway to another world, and the two are off. Sometime later, the storm is over and the sun rises as the Hulk, still in the command center, is growing increasingly frustrated over what we discover are his failing mental faculties. He's supposed to have the brain of Bruce Banner, but he's finding that he just isn't as smart as he once was, and when he tries to search his mind for answers or ideas, all he gets in return are headaches. Captain America, sleeping on a slab of metal behind him, suddenly wakes and seeing that it's dawn and that the storm has broken, berates the Hulk for not waking him, knowing that the villains could attack at any time. The Hulk bounds away to sound the alarm, but it's too late. The villains have arrived. While the Human Torch and Reed Richards have breakfast with the Thing, who's still in his human Ben Grimm form, Titania attacks, knocking their giant metal slab door in on him, taking Ben and Reed out and breaking the torch's arm, as well as a couple of ribs. Knowing that it's best to live and fight another day, Johnny cuts through the floor and drops himself and the others into a lower level to escape. She-Hulk is caught by surprise and taken out by Volcana, and Dr. Octopus sneaks up behind Captain Marvel, who's just finished dressing after a nice hot soak. He clunks her on the head and is then chased off by Hawkeye, before he can go in for the killing blow. Iron Man and Spider-Man are taken out by Ultron, and Doom uses the Molecule Man to force Captain America and the Hulk into retreat. Moments later, the villains who were captured in the previous issue are freed, though the Wrecker admits that they were unable to locate the Enchantress. The Molecule Man's happy because they've accomplished their mission with no casualties, but Doom is disappointed. We also have fewer kills than I'd hoped, but no matter... We have accomplished much here today, and to finish it, we shall level this place so that no stone remains on stone. Well, gold darn, I don't know about you, but that sure sounds like a cliffhanger to me. And guess what? It certainly is. And with our story now told, it's time for the top three things to dwell on. The top three things to dwell on are three moments in the book that I feel need to be given just a bit more thought. They might be funny moments, they might be stupid moments, they could even be moments of serious drama that make me feel a little something in my heart. Regardless, they're moments that I think are worth the time to revisit. Thing to dwell on number three, Iron Man's jet skates. So yeah, as I mentioned, as Iron Man and Captain Marvel are racing through their fortress looking for signs of damage from the storm, Captain Marvel is flying. Iron Man, however, is using his jet-powered roller skates, which, to be honest, is more than a little ridiculous, and I felt that a bit of research was called for. Tony Stark originally created the jet-powered roller skates for the military back in Tales of Suspense number 40 from April of 1963. They had many advantages for the military at the time. With the skates, an entire division of troops could race down a highway at 60 miles an hour, negating the need for trucks. They were also collapsible and could be stored in any pack and then clamped onto the sole of any boot when needed. Now, Tony didn't use them with the armor, however, until four issues later. In issue number 45 from September of 1963, when we see him in his old clunky gold armor racing down the highway before deciding to take to the sky. He's even clocked and chased for a bit, by a pair of motorcycle cops who give up once they realize it's Iron Man. Oddly enough, the troopers know an awful lot about the skates. 
We should have guessed. Look who it is. Iron Man using his jet skates. Those transistor-powered wheels of his can do 200 miles an hour. But here's the thing. They may have been an impressive feat of technology in 1963, but this issue that we're talking about here, this issue of Secret Wars, came out in 1984, over 20 years later. And frankly, I'm questioning why Jim Shooter felt the need to include them at all. Was it nostalgia? Was Jim still impressed by jet-powered roller skates? Honestly, I have no idea, and I couldn't find anything out there on the internet. Thing to dwell on number two, Spider-Man takes on the X-Men. When Spider-Man inadvertently spies on the X-Men and learns their plans to leave, the X-Men try to stop him from escaping and tell the others. Yet the only thing they accomplish is having their own butts handed to them. Now, I know a lot of people get really angry over this scene because for them, there's no way that Spider-Man could beat the X-Men. And in the end, I have to agree. But what I feel compelled to point out here is that this isn't a straight-up fight. This isn't Spider-Man squaring off against the whole team to see who's left standing. No, this is more like a game of tag. Spider-Man is trying to leave the room, and the X-Men are trying to catch him. We have to remember that Spider-Man has this thing that he calls a spider sense that generally keeps him out of danger and helps him avoid being tagged. And that's all this is. He didn't beat up the X-Men. He just didn't let him catch him. Thing to dwell on number one. Come on, Jim. Really? Let me set up the scene. Magneto and Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, they're alone in Magneto's lair. A storm rages all around them. He's an evil terrorist. She leads the Avengers. That's all the basic ingredients for romance, right? Well, Jim seems to think so. Well, I'm glad you're back, Janet says as Magneto returns from his Skype call with Doom. It's eerie here all alone. The storm is shaking this place. You missed me? Now that is encouraging. Um, don't be too encouraged, Magnus. I mean, Magneto takes her gently by the shoulders. Why not? Have we not reached the beginnings of an understanding? The beginnings, maybe. We agree that when my eyes meet yours that there is something electric. I don't remember agreeing to that. But it is true, is it not? And that's when he kisses her. Hey, mmm. That's the noise she makes because he forces his kiss upon her. The storm has granted us a brief interlude of peace here on this world of sudden death. Let us not deny our desires. No, no, no. There is so little time, Janet. Oh, I, I guess. I suppose it's... Oh, why not? You have the iciest blue eyes I've ever seen, Magnus. And I guess the eyes have it. And then they're making out. Is that really how Jim thinks this works? That just because Magneto is some kind of silver fox, that he can just force his kisses on Janet, and that Janet's going to be all like, No, no, but you're so handsome. Oh, kiss me, big boy. That's not how it works. You don't force yourself on women. Don't try this at home, kids. And those were the top three things to dwell on. So now we come to that time in the show where I wrap it all up and tell you how I feel about the book in general. There was a whole lot of stuff that happened in this issue. The X-Men leave the heroes. Magneto forces himself on the Wasp, which she apparently loved. Doom creates new supervillains from a couple of women without any explanation on how they got on the planet. And in the end, our heroes are beaten. And this is only the third issue, folks. We still have nine more issues of this crazy stuff to look forward to. And I, for one, am still having a lot of fun with it. Again, don't look for anything deep or meaningful in this story. 
because you're not going to find it. Instead, just sit back and roll through the silliness because that's all I'm doing. Until then, join us back here next time as we attempt to answer the question, if the Hulk saved everyone from certain death, why ain't he happy? That's coming at you next week in Episode 3, Situation Hopeless. Be there or stop, drop, and roll. That that doesn't quite sound right either. Event or Else is a presentation of the Just Another Fanboy podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash stevenroar and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show where I talk about all the nerdy type things I don't have time to talk about in all my other podcast episodes. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share the podcast with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. All right, I love new clothes. I'll see you later.